the fem fem feed the fem feed the fem feed the fem fem feed the fem feed oh hi i get your life just a mini disclaimer on the next few episodes that will be released which is the series of Jalila Jones we have a four-part series they will be released back to back so we have today which is Tuesday and tomorrow Wednesday Thursday and Friday so it's a four-part series make sure you listen to all of it Um, There are so many gems, and this was such a powerful episode. Also, there's been an update in her employment at Physique 57. And as you'll hear in our interview that she talks about that facility, she is no longer with that facility. So please, if you're looking to seek her services or want to find out any information about her, please go to her handle. Her IG handle is Jalila, J-A-L-I-L-A, Jones, J-O-N-E-S. So please adhere to that to get any further information from this amazing queen in regards to her services and her amazing skills. Um, At this point, sit back, sip your tea or your wine, and enjoy This is a powerful, powerful episode, as I've mentioned before, and it was so healing for myself and her, so I just know women will definitely resonate with this. Enjoy. Hey world, it is your girl, Allison Abena here, and I am here with the beautiful, the illustrious, the fabulous, the amazing Jaleela Jones. Can you say hi to my listeners, Jaleela? Hey, listeners. Hey, world. How you doing? Saying hey from Dubai. So happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. Thank you for being here. Like, I feel like the world needs this. Like, this (laughs) interview, this, this... Set up me and you. It, it's going down basement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so excited to do this. It's much needed. <laughs> yeah, have no idea. Absolutely, especially just mental health. That's the whole reason why I started this whole journey with the podcast is to just create a, a safe space for women um, to review their stories and even to um, look back and reflect. Like I'm gonna have Cree. Uh-huh come again this season and she's going to be analyzing what she said two years ago so it's a reflection of how she was then and the growth that happened now so it's it's like it's like a podcast time portal almost Mm, (laughs) exactly okay so let's jump right into it who are you and what do you do Okay, so my name is Jalila Jones. I am 72 years old. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yes, Benjamin Button. (laughs) I'm a professional dancer, and uh, now I am a fitness trainer. And I currently live in Dubai, and I've been living in Dubai almost five years, working for a company from New York called Physique 57, which primarily focuses on ballet, Pilates, and yoga, and transforming women's lives here in Dubai, especially people who don't necessarily have access to fitness or are very new to fitness in the cultural environment in the Middle East. Absolutely. Oh my God, I had no idea that the affiliation um, included dance technique in it wow that's yes. awesome oh my god yeah so bar bar is based off of the technique of ballet mm. but formed by Lottie Burke 
from New York. So she's oh. like, she was, she developed the technique. She was a professional dancer. Wow. Um, kind of, kind of like, you want to think of Dunham, you know, yes, Dunham, the Dunham, yes, Dunham style. So you know how it's like repetitive, repetitive, mm-hmm. repetitive movements done to the tempo. Right. Just for strengthening, for posture, for mm-hmm. flexibility, and for toning your muscles. Yeah. It's like a good prep class before you go into an advanced ballet class. Wow. Like I we do that. six o'clocks and everything. Really? And y'all have <laughs> actual <laughs> bars in class too? Ballet bars. What? Ballet bars. I need it's, to tap it's into insane. That. It's tough. Yeah, I'm, I mean, ballet's tough on its own, period. So converting it with some training, some conditioning training and fitness, exactly. it's like killer, I'm assuming. Yeah, right? for sure, for sure. But the reason why most, da- so they only hire dancers to oh. teach this format, but the reason why it's so good or why a dancer would love to teach it is because the entire hour is tempo-based. Oh. It's not like um, like a regular circuit class or a hit class where you just do something 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. Mm-hmm. It goes, your, it's your full body and the entire workout is done to, like choreographed workout. Wow. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's really cool. Oh wow. <laughs> See, I'm learning things. I'm learning. Yeah, um, girl. You got when you come here or when I come home, we'll go take a bar class. I know. I'm gonna be scared. I'm gonna be in the back, child. I gotta yeah, I'll be like, Lila, help me. Help me, girl. Yeah. I ain't ready. Like, keep going. Yeah, I'm going to be laughing at you. I'm sure yeah. you will. You'll be like, you all right, girl? <laughs> I uh, you know I made Tori and Michelle take it. You did? How did they yeah, do? They, they will never come again. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I know Tori was too through because she just can't. Like, yeah, if she's not she into came something. in. They were already. If they had no idea what they were going to expect, you know, they did really, really good though. But it of was course. just like they were not expecting it to burn the way it did. And I was like, yeah, Girl, I, know they were. <laughs> I know they were probably kicked up at that house afterwards hey, with man. that after. I love you, Tori. I love you, Michelle. But girl, mm-hmm. I know y'all did not want to do that class. Girl, you set them up. <laughs> well, at least I'll go in with the right mindset. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to jump into the next question. Um, sure. How did we meet, and what was our original thought of each other? Okay, who wants to go first? I'll go first. I think I usually okay. go first. I, I don't remember. It's been so long <laughs> with, the, with the podcast, but we're back season four. Um, so with you, I mean... Obviously, um, the epic, amazing, fabulous, beautiful mother of yours taught me when I was younger. Um, So I had um, no idea of your life at the time. You know, when we're young, we don't really know much. I know about your sister, like your your older um, stepsister. Um, And, you know, she was in the industry, the dance industry. And I think she even came one year and taught us a dance. It was really cute. So... um, after graduating Terpsies, I, you know, would run into your mom and she was always very kind and sweet to me. We would always have like these nice little conversations, deep ones too. We just randomly get into deep stuff. And um, I came and visited um, the high school and I saw you up on stage and she was like, yeah, that's my daughter. I'm like, oh my God, she's fabulous. What do you mean? Like, she's your daughter? What? I was like, oh my God, look at those guns. You had like guns like in your legs. I was like, what's happening? Like, is that all ballet? What happened? And I was just like, oh my God, she's beautiful. And like, she's giving me life. Like, I think you were doing a solo to Strange Fruit. Oh and my it was a rehearsal girl that was like an eighteen thousand year ago and it was a rehearsal and i just was captivated in that moment and then learning that miss odude was in relation to you or she actually built you she was um the orchestrator and designer of you i was like oh my god of course like because i would see your mom's walk around and in um i remember i saw her one time going to Victoria's. I don't know if you remember Victoria's. Full yeah, fur. Full we fur never. with her with her date. I'm like, who is this? Like, 
who is this? So, of course, she birthed someone just like herself. So when you walk in a room, you captivate the room, not only with your beauty, but it is a je ne sais quoi about you. Um, so that was my first impression of you as a little girl in high school. Like, and I was like, wow, she's awesome and she's amazing. And then when you spoke, you had like this little sweet, squeaky voice. And I'm like, oh, my God. And she's innocent. I can't. <laughs> oh my god I don't know I don't know if I was that innocent now but I, I at least try to come off that way <laughs> you do it well <laughs> thank you thank you that's what I was trying to do um I, my first memory of you was obviously as my mom's student mm -hmm. because you have that personality and you have a personality that makes people magnetize to you and gravitate to you. Aww. Like people want to know who you are. Aww. Like I remember when I was younger, I used to say that and you, and you, you know, are so, just radiate sunlight and just, you're so personable oh, and you're so nice. Thank and like you. you have this loud presence that is attractive. Oh, Wow. Yeah, so so I remember, oh, I wanted to know her, and I remember I did one year in high school um, at Teaneck High School, then I transferred, mm -hmm. and I remember seeing you around there, here and there, but when I really, like, really got to know you and took a moment was once you started working with Terpsies. Mm-hmm. And you came and you were telling Miller, oh, hey, I really want to get into choreography. I really want to choreograph a couple pieces if you let me. Yes. And somebody was already on the stage and it wasn't your piece. Mm -hmm. I don't know whose it was, but you were like, point that toe. Point that toe. <laughs> I need you to point that toe, please. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Just like that. So <laughs> you didn't know the kid. No. You, you didn't know who made up the dance. You were just yelling out at the stage. Mm -hmm, that's right. Yes, for a smile. Yes. <laughs> that's me. You better have stage presence with a flex foot, honey. That's me. That is so me. I said, I have to know this person. I need to get closer. I want to. And then when I developed an artistic respect for you was when, because at that time I've never seen anything you've choreographed. Right. So I, I'm I wasn't given the chance. Just yelling at these kids on the stage. And then I've seen, then I saw your work and I said, what? Oh my God. Do you know what it was? <laughs> what do when I? We had this James Blake phase, honey. I we said, Allison, who is this artist? You don't know it's James Blake. No, I don't know. But whatever you're doing, keep doing it. I love it. Love it. Love it. You were you were in this James Blake trance. You got me so into it that I would I tuned him Girl. on every single album, Googled him, YouTube him, listened, read the lyrics. You every beat. You were trying to get these people to understand. Girl. What is it? What is it? What's that nursery rhyme? Row, row, row your boat. Row, 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 row your boat. What's that pattern in dance called? Um, um, it's, I'm having a brain freeze on it. Not triplets. You know what it is. Like when someone starts four counts after the other four counts. Oh, yes. Like um, mm, I'm, I'm running a freeze with the word too but i know what you mean um it's literally the easiest word and whoever's listening to this thinks we're crazy right i now. know I it's, well <laughs> they have to understand we're under quarantine you know these are <laughs> trying times <laughs> if we don't get this word by the end of this podcast girl i don't know i what know I'm doing. i can't that's how you learn how to do it when you're a kid and then you teach it anyway there's a choreography term for it right where you get the same choreography but someone starts four counts mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. and you must uh with this james blake song you must retrograde i think yeah. it was you must have cut the choreography, had people get out a bunch of times before you settled. And like you were like, okay, I'll keep this part, but y'all are not getting this pattern. You guys are not getting this sequence and I'm not feeling it. And I'm like, yeah. Like yes. No, because That's because so as nice as I come across when it comes to my artistry Girl. or when it comes to my choreography, I am just like, 
absolutely not. Right. It just won't do her. Yeah. Which, actually, I'm going to leave for her, so you guys stay. I'm going. <laughs> so once I saw you doing that, and then to see the end result of how your work came out, how your piece came out, it's like incredible. Aww. I was so passionate about it and so passionate about your relationship with dance that I wanted to be a part of your company. I wanted to dance in your classes. Oh, wow. And I saw those dance class videos that you posted. I'm so ashamed. Don't oh, no. <laughs> you like, look good. Why was I looking like that? You knew you were going to be filmed, Jalila. Where's your beat face? Your mask? I rather look like you. And you know, I had a drag queen makeup day. You, you would tell me. I know. I'm just like, girl, I you're a pretty girl. Why are you wearing this? <laughs> I would have preferred my drag queen makeup any day. with you like girl you are a pretty girl why are you doing all of this clownery you were like because no I like I it like this a certain group of people who basically raised me the majority of my 20s and told me that this is how I do makeup and you know they are queens and they're teaching me this is the right way so I had no idea that it wasn't the right way it was no not idea. it was not and I was just like oh like we're nothing. You would have been better off. You would have been slaying the game with the nothing. Like And to be honest with you, I was really overcompensating for the fact that I was very insecure about my weight at the time. Really? Uh, I was turning into a Hufflepuff. Oh, I was turning no. into something. Not that a Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah, I was turning into a Pillsbury and I was eating my feelings. Girl. <laughs> oh my God. So said, well maybe Maybe people won't notice if I just put on some makeup and then the makeup became a slab of damn makeup. Girl. I was just But I would have preferred. I would have preferred, (laughs) Allison, to have that makeup on in those videos. You were not bad in those videos, okay? You were not bad in those videos, okay? You were the strugglest of buses. Um, we're like, no, Julila. I remember Leanne would be like, no, it's get your life. Get your life. I love get your, get your life. I can't. I can't. Yeah, those, those were the days. Really sing. Yeah, we had we a had a rip. Why was I even invited to your singing? Club? You got a little better. Sing. You got a little no, better, no, but no. the confidence but the level. Fact that both of you even invited me. I was like, why? Why did you choose me? You guys can both really sing. Why am I in this? <laughs> like, I don't get it. But I'll be here. I'm in for it. I'm passionate about it. I'm driven. I will give you what you want. Whatever. I I was here for it. I was here for it. It was like really awesome memories. Well, thank you for thank you for allowing me to be a part of that because I was passionate about it. You were. I I, I even went into writing music. Like you guys really opened up the artistic door. I never knew that. That is a problem. Um I wrote. I I would go home every night, write lyrics, yeah. try to sing to myself. I did not know. Yeah, I mean, we you were guys actually really got joking. Up new door. It. We were joking though. Even though me and Leanna could hold the tune, we. It was all fun and games. <laughs> it was never something real. <laughs> like. <laughs> and 
and the shitty part about it is damn people at the, at, the, at the recording studio, my friends, wow, you really have something. I can't, they gassed Let's you. do another one. Let's do another they one. Gassed wow. you. They Jalila, gassed you. Jalila, you really have something. Like, you have a voice. You know you have a voice where you can just talk the lyrics. No. You know my talking voice is actually okay. It's the singing voice that's terrible. So they were like, they were trying to tell me nicely. Why don't you talk through your music? Oh, talk shade. through the rhythm. That that yeah, meant was... something. You you needed to read between the lines. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... <laughs> no, but we're still not there. We got yeah, no. Because last time we left you, you were getting somewhere, but that's not yeah. it. What you just ser- what you just served. Um, you wait for it. I'm gonna have a cup of tea and I'm about to slay and blow, honey. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're gonna jump here. into the next question because yeah. we can talk about we that all day. We can stay on singing because I'm very passionate. I know. I see. <laughs> okay. So, what was it like growing up in Teaneck, New Jersey? Oh goodness. I don't remember. It was like an eon ago. <laughs> okay, going up in Teaneck. Um, it was cool because you're around a bunch of middle class minorities mm. and you were able to blend in with any social and cultural group in the town. So I didn't I didn't necessarily go to public high school for my sophomore through senior year because I went to private school. Mm. But the great thing about Teaneck, New Jersey, obviously it's a suburb, it's super safe, but but you also have access to the city. Yes. So you have access to um, meeting so many different groups and New York is like a central hub for the world. Yeah. So if, if you have a passion for the arts growing up in Teaneck, but having access to being across the George Washington Bridge in four minutes mm-hmm. is awesome because even though I would go to school in New Jersey, I would every day go to New York to go to dance school. Mm-hmm. And actually growing up as a young kid, I was growing up with my grandparents. So they lived mm-hmm. in Harlem. So uh, because I was going to dance theater of Harlem as a kid, oh, wow, my mom okay. just would I would just stay with my grandparents. They basically... I can't say they raised me because my mom would be mad. Yeah, but they had chop that head off. They contributed in a large way to my mm. upbringing. Okay, um, wow, I did not. So know that. when I went, my mom would have me do like little commercials and auditions. So I would stay with my grandparents the majority of my young childhood, wow. and then um, once they got older, I stayed with my parents, um, and I went to Benjamin Franklin. What's up, bitch? Ooh, I don't know why yeah. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a TJ'er, so I'm sorry. We're rivalry. You know, I wish I went to TJ, though, to be honest yeah, with you. Now, looking about. back, I would have loved to be in the presence of my mother. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, you yeah, should have been there. Go to school with her, and, you know, TJ was TJ was cool. But I was rebellious. <laughs> um, my parents were separating, and then my dad got sick, so I was a very rebellious child. Oh, wow horrible anyway but yeah other than that growing up in teaneck was fun <laughs> and, and, and yeah and it was really good joining a dance club and mm-hmm. having terpsies and being able to be around other you know black people but also mm-hmm. it was nice going to a majority white school and seeing what their lives were like right. you know, being in paramus and mm-hmm. you know having to delve into an environment where you are the minority right which is our yeah. lives, essentially, um, when we exactly. leave. That's, I find, like, people that grow up in Teaneck, um, and I feel like I've had this discussion before with some friends, but, you know, we have the best of both worlds, in a sense, but also we're at a disadvantage because if you only stay there, when you finally leave to go to college or out to the real world, you realize everyone's not this melting pot. It's more like a salad. We're not fusing together. We're just all individuals and everyone kind of sticks and assists their own. Um, Yeah. I think the first time I felt like I was seeing segregation mm -hmm. as far as races was when I went to private school. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I've ever 
really experience that. Like, obviously, you ha- usually when you see the high school and American movies, it's like the cheerleaders sit together, the who, the right. this. But I did feel like when I first went to private school, like all of the black kids kind of sat together, all of the mm-hmm. white kids, all of the this. But in Teaneck High School, when I was going to Teaneck High School and when I went to Benjamin Franklin and when I went to um, Whittier, it was not segregated like that at all. White mm. people, black people, everyone kind of sat together, inclusive of me. I right. sat with everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a nice variety of friends. Right. My first year going to Paramus Catholic, um, one, it was my first time going to school that was founded upon religion. Two, it was my first time going to a school where I was a minority and and everyone kind of sits with either the town they're from because your Catholic school is like a hundred different towns yeah. in one school or their race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yes. it's a big culture shock, reality shock, all of the shocks yeah. you can think of, um, especially if it's not discussed with you and mm-hmm. not... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not broken down for you. That's not the word I'm looking for, but we're just going to use that for lack of a better word. But if you haven't um, had that dissected to you by adults before going, it's it's like, okay, now I'm going to adapt and figure this out. Um, Which can be problematic, but that's another podcast. So... (laughs) Um, but I do appreciate, like I said, I, I'm, I'm actually would never change it. Mm. I'm very happy that I wound up going there. Right. It wound up being the experience that I needed because um, I would sometimes experience forms of bullying in Tina that wow. I never did experience in, in private school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and not even just bullying, intimidation. Mm. Like I wasn't hard enough. Oh. to be with, to, you know, to handle certain groups. Mm-hmm. And and I was super, super tiny in high school. And I was skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just felt like there was a lot of pressure, especially amongst black women. You know, the stereotypical, we develop our body parts faster, yeah. so therefore look older. Therefore, mm-hmm. that is more attractive. Yeah. I, found, I found that there was this pressure in Teaneck, especially, and I know that this is not the basis of our conversation, but mm-hmm. I did find that there's this pressure that I need to have big boobs, big butt, big this, big that. Like I needed to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Also, I needed to carry myself a little bit harder, a little bit more aggressive mm-hmm. because there's that one group of people who are from Brooklyn that are oh. in Teaneck High School. You've got to keep up with them. Right. At, at Paramus Catholic, those social pressures were not there. Mm. And I really had an opportunity to focus on my studies and my grades were, were impeccable. I was on like principal's honors wow. and I, and I really liked being able to do that mm. at school and then come to TNAC for my dance and my cultural, right. social, whatever mm-hmm. environments. That is true. I think, um, I agree with you. Like, it's good to be exposed to all of that. And my brother had a similar experience. Um, when we lived in Teaneck, he, he said to me that, you know, he would be bullied or, you know, ridiculed for his dark skin. But, you know, when we moved to Ridgewood, and it's predominantly white, there was like five kids that were black in, in the entire school. Um, middle school and high school, I think two in middle school and high school was five. And he's like, he felt comfortable because they weren't talking about his blackness and it was never an issue. So it's like weird, like you're around our people. And I believe this to be because there's so much, um, post-traumatic stress within our community that hasn't been addressed. We have adapted to, um certain behaviors that are indicative of our survival, but Mm -hmm. it also is problematic because what it does subconsciously is it belittles ourselves. You know, we belittle ourselves, we belittle one another. Um, There's this um, study done by this um, professor, and it's called uh, Post-Traumatic 
slave disorder. Yeah, I've read it. Mm-hmm. I knew that that's what you were going to say. Yeah, yeah. She talks about it. And it's it's so interesting to me, like just certain things that were done just to keep people alive. And it's exactly. so evident today, but because of the world we live in and because that was an ancestral practice, it's mm. no relation to the current states that we're in, but it causes residual trauma of course did you read the part about the rats the experience that he did on the rats so basically they were saying they had two different rats who were Mm -hmm. pregnant one they didn't abuse and then one they did abuse Mm -hmm. and how the when the rats were born the one with trauma was always afraid and always afraid that they were going to get hurt just genetically because they felt their mom when they were when they were in the womb that mm-hmm. mom was getting abused or mom was experiencing trauma experiencing trauma when they came out mm-hmm. they were always traumatized or they were always afraid as mm-hmm. opposed to the one who didn't experience abuse exactly was fine yeah. and wasn't afraid of anything yeah and that's like a study that shows on a cellular level how that has changed us in um biologically you know that has changed the way we are not just mentally which mentally is a thing like one of the um studies or stories was like um you know you'll you'll have tommy acting a fool at the bank you know and he can act a fool and he run around but you know your parent is looking at you and you better not be like that or you better straighten up and fly right. You you don't have the privilege to be a kid and be curious and run around in these outside parts because in translation, unbeknownst to that parent in the modern times, if you did that in slavery times, your kid would be killed. Right. You know, so you're you're giving them survival mechanisms and skills another one was um you know how we always as like black people you always like are um attacked by negative responses like we never get praised for things which things are changing but it's it's synonymous within our community like um you'll hear someone complimenting your child like a black mom would hear someone complimenting a child or a black dad like oh my god your your kid is so talented like they're so smart oh you want him you want him because I can't stand him you know and the kid is hearing that and the kid is thinking wow you know my mother my father doesn't like me but you know for another culture or let's let's pick white culture you know, you're praising their kid and you're like, wow, they're like, yeah, I'm so proud of them. They make us proud and all of this. You'll always hear like black parents say, you want them or you can take them. They're so cute. Oh, you want them? Like, and it, it it's belittling yeah. the child, but in slavery times, if the master, massa, or someone else was attracted to your kid for whatever reason. Oh, they pick cotton well. They're very fast. Oh, no, he's lazy. He doesn't... Because they would send your kid away if he was producing in... Or or producing in a great way or had a certain attribute that was sellable. You wouldn't see your kid anymore. So they had to create these survival mechanisms in order to keep their kids and family alive but today we don't get it it's just a generational um practice here's another uh, on the contrary here's another interesting perspective i was actually talking to my mom about Mm -hmm. touching on what you're saying on Uh social settings have you ever noticed if you and i went out or a group of black women went out to to eat lunch Mm -hmm. right compared to a group of white women that eat lunch. When a group of white women eat lunch, they go, oh, I can't eat this. I'm so fat. Oh, I need to check out my pores. Oh, I'm bulimic. Do you ever hear that they're constantly going down on themselves and they're waiting for the rest of the group? They're like, no, Jane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. But when 
But when a group of uh, uh, women like us, honey, I got to do this because I'm the, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm. Often mm. that might be a social setting for a group of black women. And I often you mm. used to remember, I would hear, I would have, I need to have confidence like Beyonce, white women would say this. Mm-hmm. I need to have confidence like this black woman and this black woman. And especially when it came to weight, mm. we're, we're not always so weight crazy yes yes um, as as opposed to a conversation like a person that would think they were fat that is caucasian we would be like what are you talking about right. and I, and it's so funny how yeah constantly especially as african-american women we're constantly berated and talked bad about and constantly told mm. you're ugly you're ugly you're ugly but when we're when we're in a group of women we're not constant we're not saying that true that's not that conversation that we have with each mm-hmm. other and and I don't know if it's a shell or a mask we're putting Ooh. on because to be honest with you when I go home I don't say I don't speak as confidently yes. to myself yes. in the privacy of my own home mm-hmm. but when I am around a group of people or a group of friends or mm-hmm. a group of people like-minded I'm not I'm not downing myself mm-hmm. I'm not putting myself down it does happen in my home but wow. I wonder if with with Caucasian women, why do they do that in public settings? But then mm. they think probably the world of themselves, or they try to show themselves off in a in a completely different mm-hmm. way in their personal lives. That's interesting. Yeah, and and you're you're right. I do notice that when you we do go out, it's more of boasting on oneself. It um, is keeping keeping up with the Joneses or what, whatever have you. Exactly. And then behind and closed uplift, doors. I'm not saying we don't uplift each other. Yeah, like we do. Friends, mm-hmm. we'll always Especially be like, now. Yes, girl, you did that. Mm-hmm. I saw that, you know. It's not that I feel like we're not uplifting each other. I do feel like from our parents or from our aunts or our elders, they they there's they have a different approach. But amongst people that are my age or my friends, they're all like, yes, honey. Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. And we're like that yep. to each other. And I was like, did you see when I did this? Mm-hmm. But I, I just noticed that. I noticed in wow. other other races they're always putting themselves down they are putting themselves down in public in in restaurants and with their groups of friends they're constantly talking terribly about oh no i don't feel do you really think i do sue really are you sure that my thing am i i need to fix this i need to powder this i need to get this injection and this botox that's the main conversation Mm. Maybe I, I feel like even as black women, we look at them like they're crazy. Yeah, like, it's like, we don't good. see that. But I think it's more so, thinking about it a little bit deeper, I think it's more so they are waiting for that narcissistic adulation and response yes. from their friends. Yes. That's what it is. And we, we know from, from history that we may not get that. So we're going to say it to ourselves because as we're in the midst of moving together as women, unfortunately with black women too, there's always this competitive spirit. So we have to always make ourselves present and state that. So it's it's two different self deprivating um, experiences because with us, we're lying to ourselves. We're not being authentic. And right. with them, um, there is lying and in, in, in authenticity happening as well, and and almost a force, a forcage of praise me. Yeah. Idolize me, you know. Tell right. me I'm wrong. Convince me I'm right. wrong. So that's right. really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Or what was her name? Rockletta Sims. Did you see? She's got to have it. Yes, Rockaletta Moss. Rockaletta Moss. <laughs> so you see how she talks about herself. Mm-hmm, she person. finally explains why she does that. Mm. And, and, and it brought me to that perspective. Is like, it's like when, and I'm not saying I'm super braggadocious, but if I'm happy about something or if I'm confident about something, I'm saying it. And that's right. what we're talking about at the mm-hmm. restaurant. And I'm hearing my friends talk about whatever they have going on. And my cousin, because I'm thinking of like when I go out with Elena or something, we're talking about great things that are mm-hmm. happening. We're not like, Oh, I'm so. But when I go home, and if I have a look in the mirror, I'm I am nitpicking and and 
becoming a perfectionist and seeing every single one of my imperfections. Or if I'm thinking about a piece I choreographed, well, you could have done this better. You could have done that better too. Or if I'm thinking about my class, well, your class really wasn't that good today, Julia, even though you're not saying that to people. And you're out like, yeah, it was a really good class. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And you display this level of confidence. And it always reminds me, lastly, with my clients now, like, you can handle anything, Jalila. You can, what do you mean? You can handle anything. So I see that I even put on a facade mm, in my preach. professional environment preach. That, that is not authentic mm. to a whole nother part of me mm. that people don't see. And why do I hide that? Why do I cover that? Why do I not want to expose that mm. bit of, uh, part of vulnerability? Does it mean or equate to me that everyone will perceive me as weak? Mm. Anyway. That you going in, you going in. Ooh, that's juicy. Okay, we're gonna jump into the next subject, or this is I mean topic, but this is gonna be a whole week episode. <laughs> so, um, when did you build your relationship with the dance, or better yet, when did you fall in love with the aspect and essence of dance? <laughs> yes, brown sugar. That was beautiful. <laughs> uh, brown sugar, babe. <laughs> so obviously, my mom, who was a dancer and a theater major at NYU, she was adamant about putting me into the arts as a kid. So I started at Dance Theater of Harlem, and I was going to school, dance school in New York. And I feel like the first time I built my own, and by the way, I started to hate things when I was maybe about 11 or 12. Oh I was like, why do I have to keep practicing this? Why do I have to go here after school? Why, why, why? I just want to be with, do hood rat shit with my friends. I just want to be you a know, rat. No more dance, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be bad. Ah. Um, <laughs> I think that I fell in love with dance or grew a passion for dance, real passion where it wasn't, where it wasn't a competitive thing where I was thinking about what everyone else is, how mm. everyone else looks to me mm. because dance is a very competitive environment, especially if you're trying to find it and make a career out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I stopped caring about what other people thought of my dance and I stopped caring about the person standing next to me on stage was when I probably experienced loss, mm. when I experienced death. Mm. That's when I was able to internalize my feelings. And I, I was internalizing my feelings when my dad died and when my grandmother died. They died two months within each other wow. when I was uh, turning 16. Um, oh so God. in July. Was that your uh, dad's mother or your mother's mother? So my mom's my mom's mother died and my dad died. Oh within two months and um in the summertime when my dad first passed away I kept getting sick and my my mom took me to the doctor and the doctor said you have acid reflux that's what's happening to you you have acid reflux acid reflux is often caused by anxiety and they and he kept saying is something going on with you and he knew my mom told him Mm -hmm. before I went in that my dad just recently passed but he kept saying to me is something going on with you? Um, is something wrong? Is there anything that's bothering you that you want to talk about? I said, no, no, nothing. Nothing is wrong. Everything is fine. Nothing is wrong. I just kept saying it over and over. And he told me about, about when his father passed and how it affected him and how he just acted like it didn't happen. And so then I, I basically said, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. And then that next following year, I started dancing again. And I could feel that through dancing, I was releasing something Mm. and I don't know what it was, but whatever was feeling so tight within my system that was causing my chest to burn, my heart to burn, causing this tension, I was able to let it go or express my pain without saying words. And so that's how I fell in love with dance because mm. 
then that gave me this whole new outlet called choreography. Mm. So it wasn't just it wasn't just me taking in pieces, learning people's pieces, doing pieces. It was me now creating things, mm. creating things from my mind, from my heart, from my soul, mm-hmm. and releasing it and speaking to everybody without having to express a pain that I can't even touch on. Oh, I love yeah. that. I love that. And we, we yeah. preach it as, as um, instructors, as creators, as creatives, whatever, um, all the time that use your emotions um, as you're moving. This is, this yeah. is your canvas. This is your, your brush to express what you're feeling inwardly without expressing it audibly. Um, so, wow, that's awesome. Um, just like a bonus question, piggybacking off of that, um, being that loss was what got you into, I'm going to repeat that because I'm going to have to cut that. Um, (laughs) so, um, being that loss was what got you into the love and appreciation of dance how walk us through your injury in college that um now is a different type of loss oh my gosh dealt with how did Girl, you get that psyche getting deep like my Girl. heart literally when you said that my heart just squeezed me really i'm like, sorry yeah. <laughs> breathe this is, like, this is as they say touchy literally oh. touchy oh. Um, so the, so when I had my injury and for those of you listening that don't know me very well, I went to Hofstra university and I was majoring Mm -hmm. in dance and in my junior year, um, I was asked to perform a stunt on an aero bed or air bed, you know, blow up bed, but it wasn't secured to the ground. And when I went to go jump on the bed, the, the bed, flew forward and I fell backwards on my neck and I passed out and I woke up in a hospital and I found out that I split a nerve from my neck to my shoulder and I had several injuries inclusive of of four herniated discs in my spine from my cervical all the way down to my thoracic and even into my lumbar spine. So I was... Um, told that I would never, ever be able to dance again. And what I was using to release and to grieve, I didn't have anymore. Mm, mm. So, so, so my dad died for me all over again. So at this moment in my life, I really experienced loss and I experienced trauma and, you know, before my injury, I never had a problem with um, my weight fluctuating. And then that became a new factor. Uh, one, at one point, I was classified as obese mm. because what was happening, I was laying in my bed. And I, we'll talk in pounds because I was laying in my bed. And I used to be I used to be maybe 106 pounds at the max. When I had this injury, I went up to 165 pounds. What? Yeah, and I would lay in my bed. And I'm 5'3". I'm not tall, right. guys. So imagine what that looks like. Um, and 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 it was managing that weight. I, I've never been, you know, larger than about 106. So to be um, 165 and be my height and try to make something of myself it just i was like i didn't even know i was large so people would look at me and see me and i'd be like what i look good what you mean (laughs) i'm fine i'm not fat i didn't even see that i was gaining weight every day i was in my bedroom and i would eat 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 and watch movies i wouldn't come out the room and it's probably the first time and I know we're going to jump into this later, but this is the first time I actually experienced depression of being a mental illness of being depressed and not wanting to be here anymore, lying down in my bed. And, and it was because it was a culmination of 
now I'm injured. Now I'm paralyzed. Now I cannot dress myself. I cannot drive. Mm -hmm. I'm on crutches every other week. And my dad all of a sudden died. No, your dad died almost five years ago. You're just now grieving it. Wow. Um, My dad died. My grandmother died. Then my grandfather died. Um, Experiencing all that in one setting was a lot for Mm -hmm. me to handle. And I could have turned to substance. I could have turned to alcoholism. But somehow what I turned to was food. Mm-hmm. And I just kept eating, 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 eating. And I, and I wasn't dancing and I wasn't moving. So, so sure, I eat, I was eating quite unhealthy before, but I wasn't gaining weight right. because I'm working out six hours a day mm-hmm. during the week. Right. You have three classes, ballet, modern, and your specialty. Then you have choreography for an hour, right. mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. Yeah. So even if I was eating something that wasn't bad, it wasn't, it, it was in and out. Mm-hmm. So eating those same things and thinking I could do the same things I could, I was doing when I was active wasn't resonating because I was like, Oh, but I, I'm, I'm not going to gain weight. So this is the first time I was experiencing weight management. Like where did this concept even come from? Is this right. even a thing? Um, so yeah, dealing with that, dealing with my injury was probably one real time that I felt mentally unstable, Mm -hmm. that I developed anxiety attacks. And um, so it was obviously an anxiety attack is much bigger than acid reflux. Acid reflux came back and I was depressed for almost a year. I was in a dark room, in the dark, locked in a room, eating and watching movies on my Netflix and would not talk to anybody. Oh my Not God. Netflix, whatever they had at the time. Blockbuster. Yeah, girl. <laughs> I didn't even know it was that deep. Like, I mean, I knew vaguely the story, but I didn't know it was that deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. Oh, my God. And to get out of it, because mo- I was at my mom's house at the time. I left school. I was in my mo- I was back at home, which mm-hmm. obviously for those of you who are adults know what that's like mm-hmm. um, being back at home, leaving your apartment yeah. and now you're back with your family mm-hmm. again. So, wow. <laughs> so Crazy. I was back with my mom and my brother who was in high school. And my mom was just like, Jalila, you have to get up. Why don't we try this thing called Zumba? It's like this dance fitness. You, you take it as you want, you know, it, whatever you can't do, don't do it. Why don't you just try this? Also, why don't we try aqua pilates? Because oh. even though I couldn't feel my arm in the water, you, I could move my arm yeah. for some yeah. reason. Um, so I started with aqua pilates, and that got, and that was at the Marriott, oh, uh, wow. the Glen Point. Mm-hmm. Glen Point, seen it. <laughs> yeah, and so then I would swim sometimes, and then I got into Zumba, and I saw finally saw a whole new world called fitness and this is Zumba. I'm like, this is what Zumba is. It's just some Latin dances. Oh. I can do. Oh. So I went, <laughs> I went and got my certification and then that's how I got into fitness. Wow. Hello world. I didn't even know yeah. that's how you segued it into. Yeah. My mom literally pulled me out of my bedroom and got me into got me to do some something some physical activity and then by doing zumba by doing pilates i started to say okay well if i can't dance professionally professionally why don't i hone in on choreography right i love that comfort story yes (laughs) i love that yeah okay yeah that story um and such a journey such a journey for um a young person to to go through and you went through all of this you know under 30 which is out of control so we're we're gonna jump into the next so you basically walked us through how you got into be a fitness instructor through this story so we're gonna skip that um experience um 
Can you walk us through the process of making the decision to leave the country you were born in and go to a totally different new country that you've never been um, and start a life there and work there? Mm, Okay. Obviously, as a dancer, Allison, financially, it is not easy picking a job in something you love. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just not. Yeah. You know, literally, I don't know if you have this experience. Um, When I was in at home in New York, I was jumping from New York to New Jersey every day, jumping from studio to studio, from school Mm -hmm. to school. And that was my everyday life. Yeah. And I started to say, is this what's happening to me? Is this what's becoming of me? Like, why why am I not at one place? Why do I not have one thing that's stable? Mm Mm-hmm. And awesome. then, and then that turned into the thought process of Jalila, what are you doing with your life? Mm. Really? What are you doing? Like, wow. are, are you really doing what you're, what you're here on this earth to do? Are you really living in your purpose? Mm. No. Well, what do you want to do Jalila? I don't know. A little bit of everything. Mm. And that question kept popping up as I was getting on the bus to go to 42nd street to then get on the subway to go down to Chelsea Pierce to go back up to New York sports club, come back to New Jersey, go to a high school, teach the kids dance and then come home at 10 PM at night. I said, there there has to, and I said, there has to be another way. This can't be Mm -hmm. it. This is not how I make my career and Mm. spend my life. There's more. And you know that there's more. You just have to work. You have to work for it and find another route. Maybe this way, Mm -hmm. when you hit this fork in the road, instead of going left, let's try to go right. So I basically went on Craigslist and I saw, I looked for full-time dance jobs. Mm. So I was in an in-between place where I knew I couldn't dance professionally because Mm. that's where you go. Once you're finished dancing, you join a company or you go on tour. Mm -hmm. I knew that given my appearance because I wasn't, I didn't lose all my weight yet. Mm -hmm. And also I wasn't training. Uh, I was just just Mm -hmm. teaching and choreographing. I wasn't in class Mm -hmm. training, training, training. Um, I knew that I wasn't up to get works so I had two options one was cruise ships like Mm -hmm. Disney cruise ships dancing with them or the second option was this job that I saw online and it was for this company called Physique 57 which is the company that I work for right now Mm -hmm. looking for instructors Mm full-time send in your application bar instructors perfect this is what I want to do I sent my I sent in my application and my resume and then they responded back to me, Hey Jalila, we like your resume. Can you send us a couple of headshots? Et cetera, et cetera. Hey Jalila, we like your headshots. Can we schedule uh, an interview? Mm. And then that's when they said, just so you know, you're not applying for the New York location. You're applying for our Dubai location. Shame. It was on Craigslist, New York. So oh. I'm like, yes, finally right. one place. Yeah. Okay, so then. <laughs> oh my God. So then I said Dubai. They what? bamboozled you, girl. But <laughs> I was already in such a low place yes. with where I wanted to be and who I wanted to be, where I wanted to go, mm. that this, this wasn't a shock on top of that. This was like, if I get this, just do it. Let's just yeah. see how far I can go. Let's yeah. just see if I can even get it. So all these people are sitting in their auditions. Everybody wants this job. Mm. There's like people from from all around the world applying for this one little job. Wow. And then, then one I get position? To the place it's only one where position? It's like, let's do what? It was only one position? There was two. There was oh, two wow. spots. Um, I said, let's see if I can get, get to the next step. Next thing you know, I get to the next step. And I call my cousin. I said, Elena. Uh, I need to make a video audition of me teaching a bar class. Can you help me with that? So her and my other cousin, Dana, get into the video. And I teach them a class. And I had to film a six-minute video that I had to put on YouTube for the studio to see if I could even be an instructor there. Then from there, they called me and they said, okay, we liked your video. We need you to go to the New York studio and now audition with them in person. 
So I had to take a class, and then I, it was maybe five rounds of it. Oh my god, the stress! And it got and it got to the point where I worked so hard for it that I I needed to get it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, in so my hard. head, I was like. I gotta get it, and and I and I start to have this feeling, this gut feeling, mm-hmm. similar to my weird cancer feeling. Actually, I had this gut feeling like you need to go, mm-hmm. you have to go, you have to get the job, you have to go to Dubai. So mm-hmm. um, after several auditions, and I get up to the last part of the audition, which was with when I saw Maxwell. Maxwell. Oh. <laughs> Pretty wings out. You guys have no idea. That is my favorite artist in the entire I love world. Him. He's, he's along with many others, but he's my favorite favorite. <laughs> I saw him and he was like, he said to me something like, Yeah, don't worry, you're gonna get it. You got this. Next thing you know, I got it. And Wait, I you saw crying. him in the physical or in your dream? Physical at Chelsea Piers where I was working, he was training, and I and I was wow. standing there and staring at him, and he was like, "Hi, hello." I was like, "Hi, <laughs> you just don't love you. I haven't seen you in concert." Da, 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 da. It was so nice. It was so sweet. He oh. wound in. He wound up saying, "Don't worry. Look, you got the job. It's fine. You're gonna be great." And lo and behold, I did get the job. And he was right. He was I the cried, Messiah. I cried. I was like, thank you, God. Like, I need this. I needed this. I needed this moment because I needed mm. to know that I was worthy Preach. of doing what I was doing. Mm. Like, like it wasn't, I needed to know that it wasn't my time to change my route as far as quitting dance mm-hmm. and all this for good. Right. It wasn't track time. Mm. You still have another way. There's still a way that you can make a career and be successful out of doing what you love. Wow. Um, But throughout that time that I was injured, I, I developed a new love, not just for dance, which I always will love, but for teaching Mm. and changing people and, and choreographing and, and putting work on people because it's not just about me choreographing my language and Mm. me choreographing my feelings and releasing. It's also something I'm giving to them that they're experiencing. So I didn't realize how much I would love that interaction or the interaction of, I understand you without you having to say anything. Mm, So when, so, so when a dancer can relay what I'm putting on them and, and, and tell my story Mm. as if it were their own, we're talking to each other. So, so developing that sort of love on Allison, I love this podcast, by the way. Girl, I'm happy I love it. Everyone it. ends up, it, it's just a healing space. I don't know what it is. I, I think love this. The calling or whatever, but it's it's a healing space. Girl, you better have questions. Like, <laughs> open boxes. Because these boxes was closed. Girl, boxes open closed. the floodgates. Like, what is happening right now? <laughs> anyway, with another person is an ultimate experience and then realizing that you have a passion for teaching Mm. and changing people's lives and they're like oh Julia you're inspiring me when in fact I'm so inspired by them so I I think during that time that I was injured developing a new love for for sharing and teaching whatever people feel like I'm an expert or I have expertise as Mm -hmm. at is really really great and and that delves into fitness and being physical and, and it's and it's some sort of therapy dance yeah. fitness all of it it's this this therapy mm-hmm. for me and for them that so landed me in dubai been here ever since it's been five years going strong and, yeah and you love it right it's it's been a great no, experience I do. I, I do and one thing as far as the environment, it's so strange being in a climate that is consistent mm. as opposed to being in an area where we have four seasons. I'm in Dubai where the temperature doesn't go below 80 
and does it and goes it goes up to 130 sometimes to be honest with you but it's just always hot it rains twice twice a year really barely rains and having that consistency gave me this internal consistency like I feel like living in New York where it's chaos the weather fluctuates my job was fluctuating and I was all over the place it was an a, a round, all around chaotic inconsistency. Now I'm in oh, Dubai wow. with one job, one climate. I think that for this interim of my life, I needed that consistency right. to develop and to mature and to get things in order. Mm. Mm. I love yeah. that. And I remember speaking to you before you, you left. I think I was... um driving you to your mom's because yeah, yeah. you didn't have your car at that time and you were saying like you really need this time to just kind of get your life in order like you spoke about that I guess being the precipice or the catalyst to change for you um emotionally uh, mentally and physically just everything all together because it just was a lot and now yes. hearing you record the story um, of everything that you were going through in detail, it's like this, it was written. That job was written. They were like, what? You said so many people for those two positions only. This was destined. Right. Wow. Wow. Powerful. I'm getting chills. It's so, and, it, and it's so funny because I would, I used to see that ad several times. I used to see the ad several times and other periods of my life, like the year before that job was on Craigslist, the year before the job. This year, I decided to, this specific year in 2015, when I felt like I was at a, a all-time low, and, and like you said, I lost my apartment, I lost my car, I was taking buses everywhere, I was mm. all over the place, and living with my mom, and I just said, I need, I did say, I remember feeling like I needed some order, mm-hmm. some stability, some mm-hmm. security. And I needed to, on top of that, make myself proud mm-hmm. and feel some sort of accomplishment. So getting that job and, and it was a big secret. Like nobody knew you guys found out that I was going to Dubai like at the last minute. Mm-hmm. No one yep. was even applying for this job. No one knew it was something I had to do for myself. And I was like, I got it. I made it. I'm leaving. I need to go. Oh. Yeah. Well, we are going to turn this into a two part because yeah. we just got into a quarter of what we need to get into. So stay tuned for part two. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. You are all so awesome. Please remember to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast. I have to say that it is extremely important that we get reviews and comments. It really helps us to get our content more refined and I find out what you guys like and what you would like to hear as well as on a monetary level when ads are able to see that people are listening and what they have to say it really helps us if we want to build our brand and take the podcast to the next level so for all podcasts that you listen to definitely make sure you like subscribe and review i'm going to close this episode with one of my words We discover our strength when we review our stories. Thank you.